Hello and welcome back to Tales from the Pit. This is your content warning as usual. In this episode I'll be joined by Katie Stoll and we'll be discussing the loss of beloved pets, which we know can be a trigger for a lot of folks, so take your time with the episode if you need to. Before I get to the prologue, I wanted to share with you a scrap from our last episode that didn't make it, alternate lyrics to the Jetsons theme, which I highly encourage you to use instead from now on, knowing how often we all find ourselves singing the Jetsons theme. Meet George Jetson. He's in Hellboy. Slogging through these days of strife. Deep depression. Misery's bellboy. Someone shoot me. Hates his life. Anyway, I thought that could be our unofficial theme song. And that should have given the pet lovers enough time to decide how they want to play things. As for this episode, I must say I was overwhelmed by the positive response to the short story we began last episode with. So I'd like to read a longer one now. It's called The House With No One In It. And I wrote it around Halloween in response to finding out my own dog, Dusty, would have to be put down in the not-too-distant future. He actually lived for three more years... But this is what my brain spat out when I meditated on that impending loss. Dusty is represented by Casey, the little brother, as well as making a cameo as the name of a bicycle. It's a scary story. It's brutal, in fact. It owes a lot to I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream and the Jurassic Bark episode of Futurama. So if you're not into horror, or having your heart broken, or you just want to get to the interview already, the story wraps up at about 45 minutes in. But, for those of you ready to plumb the depths thoroughly, please take the hand of the person next to you as we descend once more into the pit. The house with no one in it. What's the big deal? It's just empty. It's not even that creepy. You go inside then, Aaron spat back. Michael laughed, bulged his bottom lip with his tongue, and nodded a bit. I'll let you borrow Dusty. The offer had the desired effect. As Aaron mulled over her decision, she could sense every kid present holding their breath, shifting their legs to find more purchase in the hard-packed summer dirt. Yes, but also to get that nervous energy out. They all wore Halloween costumes. Two wore capes that fluttered as huge quanta of wind lumbered around them, leviathan-like, invisible. How long? Two months. This time there was an audible ooh from the onlookers. Michael elbowed Andy and the scrawny boy giggled automatically, like a pull-cord toy version of the hero he was dressed as. No, Aaron, no. The brat's six-year-old voice was a piercing whine of fear, and she could hear his empty jack-o'-lantern bucket rattling against its plastic handle. Let's just trick-or-treat. He tugged at the delicate black latticework of her witch's sleeves. Aaron was thirteen now. Mom had finally let her and her brother out alone for Halloween, even allowing her the blasphemy of choosing a scary costume instead of insisting on something from the Disney-Pixar universe. 
all on the condition that if any harm befell the brat, the punishment would be on her head. And yet, the thrill of the costume and the oncoming evening had already begun to infect her. Ignoring her brother for a moment, Aaron examined the dirt bike, pretending she hadn't long ago memorized its every chromium curve, coveted the perfectly square nubs of its rugged rubber tires, to which that new bike smell still clung, to which even some of the little rubber whiskers that wear off right away were still attached. Michael's mom had gotten it for him as a consolation prize when he finished fourth in a karate tournament a scant two months before Christmas, and he barely ever rode it. Aaron's mind boggled at the unfairness of the world. The bike was purple. Okay, she said. She looked at the brat. You coming? One thing she would say for him now that he was six is, the brat didn't like people to see him cry, especially two bullies like Michael and Andy. The brat blinked back tears, promised to tattle later, and then finally decided to come with her, of course, refusing even to relinquish his grip on her hand. Though Michael was a year younger than Aaron and only an inch taller, he was otherwise humongous and mean. They knew each other, had been playmates long ago, but had chosen different paths of evolution, or had those chosen for them. Now Michael's freckled pudge was contorted in a grin, obscenely crimson in the sunset, and framed by sweaty pats of hair extruding from the edges of a lycra cowl. He was dressed as a stormtrooper, one of the real plastic ones, but he had his helmet tucked under an arm. His rich parents probably overfed him, she thought. What do I have to do? Get inside and bring something back? Give me something to take, she said, so we know you won't ditch us. Michael snorted. Do you want the bike or not? Aaron glanced over at the house. It wasn't that creepy, and it wasn't that big. The only unsettling thing about it, really, was the vast expanse of weed lots that surrounded it, as if no other house dared come close. That, and the fact that no kid had ever seen anyone leave or enter the house, yet it stayed maintained, and no one's parents, of the kids who'd ever asked anyway, seemed to know who lived there or who owned the place. In fact, if she climbed out of the drainage ditch and up onto the ridge behind the house, Aaron could spot her own neighborhood. Michael said inbred cannibals lived inside. Fine, she said. Andy said, ooh, again. Aaron clambered out of the trough, pulling the brat with her, and slung her empty pillowcase over her shoulder. She stopped briefly to turn back to the two boys squatting in the ditch, enjoying the height differential. But you can't take it back, she said. Two months, and I get to keep it in my garage. Deal, said Michael. But you have to bring an artifact from inside to trade. Deal. Soon, they were moving into the pale yellow void of the affronting vacant lot. The brat dug in his heels, but didn't impede progress overly. Aaron could hear Michael and Andy snickering, making oogie-boogie noises at them. She looked at the house again. She had thought it looked very old-fashioned, like one of the big plantation houses from her U.S. history book, only smaller. As they got closer, though, she realized every piece of it seemed new and clean, as if it had been built very recently to mimic that style on a more affordable plot. Even the big dark windows, each filled with warped old-fashioned glass that distorted the interiors, gleamed back against the slanting sun, immune to the wind and the dust. If she had been a bit older, she might have called it faux vintage. There was no walkway leading to the porch, no stones peeking from overgrown straw, no tiles, no faint indentations or chalk marks where a walk had once been planned but never finished. The porch just started, bluntly, 
as if the weed lot were the inviolable border of an enemy country. On one side, Aaron and the brats stood on dirt. One step later, and they had dirtied the gleaming wood under their sneakers. The overhang's shadow enveloped their heads, and Aaron felt a little cooler. We'll just knock, she said, to calm either or both of them. If someone answers, say trick or treat. It's not even six yet. Just do it. If no one answers, we'll go around back and maybe we can find something and say it's from inside the house. Let's just do that then, the brats said. No, said Aaron, frustration rising in her voice. They have to at least see us knock. Little brother craned his neck back toward the two bullies. Tense glee was apparent on their faces, even at 50 yards, and through the shimmering waves of heat coming off the earth as it turned lavender. The sound of Aaron's small hand knocking on the front door brought the brat snapping back. He instinctively grabbed his sister's hand tighter, rocked back on his heels, feeling a little bit of the sun on him again. The door swung open. It hadn't been opened. There had been no delay, no sound of footstep, no click of a mechanism. It just opened. What looked like a heavy oak door creaklessly yawned open five or six inches and then stopped, as if the force of Aaron's 13-year-old fist could have been the cause. But that was impossible, she thought. Who leaves their front door unlocked? Not just unlocked, open. This was not an abandoned house. It didn't look abandoned. And she had knocked so tenderly, already imagining their walk around the back of the property and what creepy trowel handle or doll eye they might have found there to win their bet. But the door stood open, undeniably, a vertical shaft of pitch black standing there in the opening, a beacon for all to see. Well, came the shout distant from across the lot, go in. So. Michael could see, too. Aaron didn't turn around. Yeah, what you waiting for, yelled Andy, his piping voice carrying shrill on the breeze. This time she did turn and made an exaggerated and angry shh motion so they would get it. After all, was this about braving a creepy haunted house or a young witch's first breaking and entering attempt? Aaron got the bad feeling. Not the feeling that she would get in trouble. She had already weighed the brat's inevitable tattling and her ensuing punishment versus Dusty the Purple in her calculations. But the feeling that she might be doing a bad kid thing, more than just rule-breaking, a real bad kid thing, she hated that feeling. Like moms and dads inside her own head, punishing her before she'd even done anything wrong. Yet, behind her, across a field of gold, the bike. And more than that, the walk of shame back to kids who would not be kind about their failure, and who would, she was sure, be even crueler at school on Monday if she did the unthinkable and ran for home. She barely registered the brat's sweaty little hand in hers as she pushed the door all the way open and took a step inside. It was a small foyer, identical doors to the left and right, a hallway corner ahead, and a set of shiny wood stairs up to a small landing and more doors. It wasn't as dark as Aaron thought it would be once her eyes adjusted, and the interior of the house resembled the outside, stately and old-fashioned, but spotless and new, as if they'd just missed the cleaning crew. No cobwebs, not even dust motes, in the shaft of light coming from outside. Still, Aaron kept her body in the open doorway, hand on the door, not wanting to venture much further. The brat made little noises. We'll take that. She pointed to a wooden pedestal by the staircase. On it was a hand-thrown ceramic bowl, 
filled to the brim with what looked like decorative stones. A number of white tapers were nestled in the rocks, unlit, all the same height and straight as a quiver of arrows. No, said the brat in a whisper. He tried to pull her back across the threshold. Come on, Frady Cat, we'll just take some rocks. They won't even notice they're missing. With her superior bulk, it was easy enough to drag the tiny protesting mummy across the room with her, whether he wanted to come or not. And though she wouldn't admit it, she wasn't about to let go of her brother's hand before they were back outside, so it was both of them who would have to do it. She yanked him across the room step by step, both staying quiet, the brat muttering no again and again. It was only ten steps to the alcove with the pedestal in it, but it seemed to take a full minute to cover the expanse. Once there, Aaron quickly scooped three of the smooth stones out of the bowl, careful not to disturb the candles, and dropped them in her pillowcase. They hung there, small and hard at the bottom, candy for someone with a taste for broken teeth. She held the case in one hand and the brat in the other, imagining how ridiculous they looked in their witch and mummy costumes. The top of her head felt unbearably hot in her hat now, and she thought she could feel her green face paint running with sweat. Okay, she said, but when they turned around, the door was closed. Again, it hadn't made a sound. Aaron couldn't remember the light in the room having changed, but it was closed now, and she saw for the first time that it had no knob on the inside. Where the knob and a lock should be, there was just a blank brass faceplate polished to a glow. She could see the swirl pattern where whomever had polished it had wiped the rag round in a circle. The brat started crying right away. Aaron jerked at his hand, reminding him to keep quiet in a harsh whisper, but he didn't listen. I want to go, he moaned, hot tears fudging his face paint soaking into the collar of his costume. Aaron's fear of getting in trouble, all capitals serious trouble, now greatly outweighed her bad feeling. Her heart pounded in her ears as she considered their options. She didn't want to call her parents, not yet. She certainly didn't want to go further into the house. Aaron stared at the blank plate for a moment, trying to puzzle out how or why such a door had been built. She reached out and pushed on it. The door didn't budge an atom. She felt around for a slot for a key card, like a hotel room door, or any kind of buttons that weren't immediately visible. All she did was add a patina of fingerprint smears to the bronze. She imagined police in this room, yellow tape over the doors, one kneeling down to lift her fingerprints from the gleaming metal with a piece of tape. It was ten whole minutes before the brat stopped his stifled sobbing and Aaron stopped caring about being so quiet. They had already tried their emergency cell phone, which was completely dead. Aaron had sworn she charged it, but there was no arguing with the empty screen. The only two windows in the foyer were tall vertical ones on either side of the front door, which were cut up into little sections by thick lead work. Most of the panes were colored. It cast a multi-hued light into the room, but with the sun almost set now, Aaron had no chance of spotting Michael and Andy through the panes, or even verify that they were still waiting for her. Together, they knocked on the inside of the door, very quietly at first, then louder, then very loud, slamming their fists and kicking at the baseboard, both of them at once, yelling for Michael and Andy. It was this which made Aaron certain there was no one in the house with them. They hadn't heard so much as a creak, settle, or a pin drop in response. Even the sound of the wind outside seemed to die at the front porch. Aaron didn't think the rocks in the bowl were big or heavy enough to break a thick stained glass window. 
Even if they did, she'd have to find a way to break the iron bits in between the glass, and of course deal with whatever capital punishment her parents would devise for vandalism. She shuddered and stole a glance at the brat, who was now lying in one corner spooning his pumpkin bucket and sucking his thumb. She swallowed a lump in her throat, turned to the center of the room, and managed a, Hello? Anyone? Loud enough to echo from the vaulted ceiling, but nowhere near confident. We're lost. We got locked in. Hello? Even louder. The silence in the room filled every null space available, like packing peanuts keeping them in place for shipment. In the vast emptiness, Aaron imagined for the first time a monster in the house, a killer clown through the wall. Up to this point, she had only imagined herself in mundane kinds of trouble, had only been thinking on the level plane of reality. But it was now that the child in her assumed a measure of control and projected to her far worse fates that only the imagination can conjure. She thought she heard something scrape against the floor in the room to the left. Her spatial brain told her the thing that made the sound was approaching would be there in moments. She took three hurried steps to the relevant door and grabbed the knob, holding it shut with all her might. Did you hear that? It took the brat a long time to answer. In that time, the door didn't budge. There were no more crab noises from the other side, even though Aaron strained so hard to listen for them, she thought she could hear her hair growing, the flow of her blood, the filling and collapse of the alveoli in her lungs. Hear what? No. What is it? Aaron was quiet, still listening. Stop it, he said. You're trying to scare me. No, I'm not. More silence. She let go of the knob. Even as the springs inside wiggled the handle back into perfect alignment, the mechanism made no noise. She was embarrassed now, as well as afraid. She hadn't heard anything, of course. Two deep breaths. Then she said, We need to look around for a way out. She had expected, maybe even hoped for, some arguments from the brat, screaming, a tantrum, some token of babyishness so raw and primal that their mother would have no choice but to come running. But the little six-year-old mummy just gathered himself from the floor, gravitated to his sister with vacant eyes, wiped mucus on a gauzed forearm, and nodded. She was the parent right now, Aaron realized. She wouldn't get any more arguments from the brat, although she was positive he'd have no difficulty telling on her later. It was her responsibility to save the day. Somehow, though she would have thought such an epiphany would make things scarier, the realization actually comforted her. She could be, had to be, an adult right now. I don't think anyone is here, she said, in the nice voice Mom used to use when they were younger. Maybe we'll find a butler or something, or a back door. The brat nodded again, eyes wide, and she guided him gently across the floor. Together, they opened one door, then the other, leaving the staircase for last. Aaron opened the left side door first, to prove to herself that no scuttling thing lurked on the other side. And there was nothing, just a warmly lit wood-paneled hallway with more doors. These ones all had knobs. At the end of the hall, it looked to open up into some kind of larger den or living room. The door on the right side yielded stairs descending into darkness. The stairs turned a cubic U after ten steps or so, and they didn't venture to look around the corner, since they would have to pass over the door's threshold to do so. Aaron no longer trusted the doors in this house. They walked up the staircase in the main foyer now, holding the railing the whole way, and at the top found even more closed doors that, when peeked through, 
offered up views of perfectly made guest beds and linen closets with fresh sheets folded crisply waiting to be deployed. Off the upstairs landing, another hallway led left and right. The living room, Aaron decided. Maybe there's a phone we can use. The brat nodded. They headed back downstairs. Aaron held her brother's tiny fist in hers and turned the knob on the left-hand door again, although all the doors seemed to be weighted to close themselves when not in use. The door opened once more onto the hallway that terminated in a den. She stepped through, half expecting to feel a static charge wash over them, but nothing happened. A few more steps down the hallway, and she suddenly felt her brother's hand tighten into a rock-hard ball and go ice cold. She looked back at him instinctively, wondering what could have frightened him so badly. Where she had been holding her brother's hand in hers, now she was simply grasping the cool bronze doorknob. And before she could stop herself, her inertia pulled the door to the foyer shut behind her. This time, she heard the click. The brat's shrieks were piercing, even through the thick wood of the door. Aaron herself felt like screaming, weeping, shaking him, and kicking the door down all at once. Instead, she just twisted the knob and wrenched the door open again, onto another featureless guest room. Small, perfectly made bed, a footstool, desk, lamp, a little bookcase with inoffensive knickknacks, even a half-empty water glass sitting on a silver tray on the desk. The glass had a transparent pitcher of fresh water next to it, with ice cubes bobbing in it. She could see the imprint of someone's lips on the rim. But it wasn't the foyer. Aaron? Aaron! The brat was sobbing and screaming for her, but he sounded quieter now. Maybe he had calmed down, she thought, even as her own panic mounted. How could this be happening? She had just come through this door, and now it led somewhere else. The world spun around her. Everything she knew, her whole short collection of life experience, was thrown into question. It's okay, I'm here, she yelled. I'm right through the door. Can you open it? To her relief, she heard her brother stop shrieking, pull himself together, and yell back. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hallway. It's the same hallway. Where are you, Aaron? I'm in a bedroom, she said. One of the ones upstairs, I think. It must be a secret passage or something. Should I go in? His voice was definitely quieter, but not just that, muffled, too. Aaron was sure he sounded more than a room away, as if she were hearing him through more walls than she should be. She wondered what the walls were insulated with. She had seen her dad open up their walls once, and there was a bunch of pink foam overflowing inside. House guts, she called them. No, she said. Did you hear me? Don't move. I'll come to you. Okay, another mumble through the door. Only now, she was in a room with no windows and one door, and the door was open, and it was the one she had just come through. Almost numb through the haze of panic and confusion, she acquiesced to the rules the house seemed to be enforcing. Stepping fully into the room, she shut the door behind her, waited a second, and opened it again. Thankfully, it hadn't locked or magically vanished when she shut it, but again, it opened into a new area entirely. This time, 
It was a tall, cylindrical red room, some kind of colonnade that would have to be on the second or top floor. The room was sparsely furnished and smelled musty, as if it were some secret hideaway only the master of the house frequented. It featured a wooden chair with some old books stacked next to it, and a number of big bay windows in the curved wall opposite the door. Two other closed doors led out of the room in different directions. She stepped inside, but didn't let the door shut. Hello? Can you hear me? This time, her brother's voice was much quieter. He said he could hear her. But he was crying again, and when Aaron shouted back to try and calm him down, she noticed her own voice, too, was cracking with tears. The brat was sobbing so hard and his voice so muffled, Aaron had a hard time talking to him after that. She tried to explain to him about the doors, that they needed to stay put and figure out a plan to keep from getting further apart, but she wasn't sure he heard her. She thought she heard him say something about coming to her and was flooded with a fresh wave of terror. No, she shouted to the empty room, so loud her chest ached with the effort. No, stay right there, stay right there. She strained at the knob she refused to let go of, looking compulsively back and forth from the guest room she had come from to the windowed colonnade she was half into. Casey, she screamed. Casey, listen to me. Do not move. Stay where I can hear you. Please, don't go. Her brother's screams dwindled altogether then. Aaron was flushed with cold sweat. Her spine vibrated, finally relinquishing her hold on the door. She crossed quickly to the windows, ready to smash them with her own fists and leap from the roof if need be. They were warped, old-fashioned glass, like the windows in the foyer had been. But they weren't bisected with lead, and they were big enough to grant a view of the outside world. Aaron was shocked to find that she was facing the front of the house. In fact, she could just barely make out little smudges in the twilight that had to be Andy and Michael. For a moment, she was able to shut the impossibility of it all out of her mind. She could imagine mom and dad explaining this all to her, some rational explanation, some horrible trick that had been played on her, and it would all be over. And in a way, it was. Because as Aaron looked down just at that moment, she saw a white smudge and a black smudge blast out of the front door of the house and shoot across the yellow field. The Andy and Michael smudges moved to intercept the new smudges, and she knew for sure that it was her and Casey coming out of the house. She tracked their path with her eyes, a pointy-headed witch and a little white mummy, coming back to claim triumph after a scary dare. No harm done. It had to be them. She cried again then, for a very long time. She screamed and hurled the chair against the windows, too, but they seemed unbreakable, and the smudges outside paid no attention, as if they couldn't hear. They just wandered down the road, fighting over the purple bike until they were all invisible. The sun had set. It was dark. She had never felt so alone. Aaron realized with a shock that she must have only been in this house for half an hour at most. Yet she knew absolutely no one would be coming in the morning. No cleaning crew would arrive to discover them. No landlord to admonish them or call their parents. It was a house with no one in it. After a night and a day, she left the room. She had awoken from a nap, her empty stomach churning to find that one of the doors to her little colonnade was standing open, onto a breakfast nook with a bare bulb hanging over a yellow linoleum table. On the table was a bowl of stale hard candy. 
There was a glass with two fingers of warm old milk in it, too. The room was filthy. Erin could swear the floorboards cackled at her as she crossed them to get her meager meal. By her best guess, Erin was 17 when she heard Casey's voice again. She didn't think of him as the Brad anymore. Just Casey. He would be 10 now. She'd been camped out for five days or more in a well-stocked library, feeding off of scraps she'd carried with her and using a wastebasket as a toilet and book pages as paper. The whore, that's how she thought of the house now, seemed to delight in cleaning up her waste while she slept, but rarely left her food and almost never water. Whatever invisible staff labored under the whore's command, they did good work. Her dad had said the word whore a couple of times in front of her. She had been acutely uncomfortable at the time, feeding off his angry vibe and her mother's outrage, but now she used the word as a weapon and a tie to her family. She wondered if the version of her she had seen leave the house was just like her and how it could fool her own parents. She wondered if the windows had just shown her that, like a movie, to torture her. She wondered about ghosts. She wondered about hell. She wondered about time travel and sin and Indian burial grounds, but the whore never said a word. The other thing about this room was it had a skylight, big enough for Aaron to fit through. She'd not seen windows of any sort in any of the whore's chambers since the colonnade room four years earlier. She had been unable to think of a way to reach it so far, but liked to nap in the square of sunlight it let in, or watch the lit patch migrate across the floor. She imagined growing up in this library, learning everything she needed to from the books until she was strong and big as her mom and dad. She wondered if they were here, if they'd be able to break the windows. If they could reach them, that is. And of course, her lack of food and water would force her to move on soon, as it always did, deeper into the house. No matter what door she chose, no matter what room it spat her into, she always thought of it as deeper. Casey's cries were a cruel joke, just loud enough to make her sure it was her brother, far too muffled to attempt any communication. She tried anyway, screamed herself hoarse, knocking bookshelves over, exhausting her body pounding against walls and doors. But he only cried and called her name. And eventually... She couldn't stand it anymore, and she ran out of the library and through 17 other doors before she finally collapsed, panting, into what turned out to be a just-cleared dining room. No food, but replete with the faint smells of a Thanksgiving meal lingering in the rafters. After that, she didn't talk to Casey again for 11 years. In the interim, the whore found other ways to torture Aaron, of course. Four days after finally abandoning her cell phone as a worthless good luck charm, she came upon a room stuffed with furniture that seemed right out of an antique store, except for the glaring anachronism of an iPhone 5S charger plugged into one wall. She had seen cellars, lofts, laundry rooms, drawing rooms, ballrooms, bedrooms, hallways that opened into hallways that opened into hallways without end but never, never a bathroom. 
And later, much, much later, she stumbled into a gleaming kitchen and found a fridge fully stocked. It was a big brushed steel number, the first reflective surface she had encountered since she knocked on the front door so long ago. Across it, she saw for the first time her own skeletal figure, Halloween costume reduced to a shredded black toga stretched tight on her malnourished shoulders. Her face looked green, but she couldn't imagine it was from face paint applied more than a decade ago. She stayed in that kitchen for three weeks, sleeping on the center island and enjoying watching herself fatten up a little on the groceries and fresh water in the fridge. Sometimes she thought the house was just fattening her up to eat her and decided she didn't care. But the day she'd eaten the last of it, she filled a bunch of Tupperware with water from the sink and moved on. She actually felt her stamina coming back, at least to some modest degree, and wondered again if she was up to the task yet of breaking through one of the house's interior sturdy walls. She wasn't hopeful about what she would find on the other side, but it was worth a shot. In the next room, feeling full and well-rested for the first time in years, she found Casey's body. The stench of rot was like a wall. Casey was naked, in the middle of a dried puddle of blood and bodily fluids, head resting on the wadded remnants of his mummy costume. He was black with filth and light as a feather. He looked like a real mummy now, from out of a History Channel show, face all dried skin and sunken eyes. He looked like he died sometime in the midst of puberty, the clash of an unevenly growing young man's body, now withered into desiccation, was grotesque. Around Casey, the room's floor nearly sagged under the weight of his excrement, never cleaned, piled to the ceiling in every corner and against the walls. His fingernails were splintered and broken, his thumb in his mouth. On one bare patch of wall across from her, the wallpaper had been clawed off, and the name Aaron carved into the plaster many times. His plastic pumpkin sat near him, overflowing with candy. Aaron collapsed, clutched the body to her. Oh, Casey, oh, Casey. She wept, she cooed to him. She screeched abuse at the whore. Aaron cursed the house to hell from the deepest parts of her soul, but only silence answered back. It took her a long time to recognize the room, it was the foyer that she had left him in so many years ago. When she noticed the closed front door with no handle, and all the other doors now with no handles as well, she actually laughed. Casey had never left the room. He just waited for her. Big sister. Caretaker. Erin tried to hang herself three rooms later with a rope made from sheets, but the chandelier in the ceiling didn't hold, of course, neither did it crush her. She considered tying herself up somewhere to die of thirst, but kept that plan in her back pocket for now. When she was older, in her middle age, she did manage to knock holes in some of the walls. Whenever she did, she always found the hole led to an exact copy of the room she had just come from. Except once. Once it led back to the foyer. She stopped knocking holes in the walls. It was on her 50th birthday, although she didn't know it, that the whore finally allowed Aaron the Good Witch to die. She had indeed tied herself to something, a defunct water pipe in a cramped attic crawl space, and waited, delirious from thirst and hunger, for a final triumph over her ancient enemy. She had chosen this room 
because it had a small circular window in one end, which she could look out of from her perch. This was only the third window Aaron had encountered, and she tried to stay very focused on the tiny circular world outside, fill her eyes with light before it was over. That was how she saw herself and Casey. Those smudges. They were full grown now. They walked side by side across the fields below, approaching her, approaching the house. The smudge that had usurped Casey had apparently lived as him all this time, held a long column of blue paper under its arm, and a few men in hard hats followed behind the brother-sister team. They appeared to be parceling off the lots for construction. They would be building more houses here soon, Aaron knew. It was her brain's last thought before shutting down. Soon, there would be houses and houses and houses and houses. And it's good for you, I get that. And I like kimchi, which isn't that roughly the same concept at least? I don't know, that makes kombucha sound even worse to me. Getting levels. There are little bits floating around in there, and that's what grosses me out. Also, boba, I can't get behind. I haven't really done boba, so I'll say that. But every time I've had a sip of Ever? boba. Mm-mm. No. Well, even like when we were teens, and it was I like I, the I thing wasn't to do. aware of boba until college. Oh, okay. And then, I guess, yeah. And then I. It was never. Conv- like, it, I just wasn't ever. An, I, like it, I didn't go places where you could get boba. And then when I started seeing people, I don't know, it just grossed me out because it looks like little balls of phlegm. That's then, what it is. And it's so <laughs> sickening. <laughs> My dad brought home a novelty soda called Orbit that uh-huh. was Sprite with boba balls floating oh, in it. Thank you. No, thank you. And that's the first time I remember that like concept. <laughs> yeah. But then immediately after that, boba places exploded everywhere, which I don't Especially know. Especially in San Diego. I feel like there was a ton in San Diego. Yeah. But and not and, like and I, San Francisco. In San Francisco. As well. But like not when I... Like, not on campus, and I didn't really leave mm-hmm. campus. I didn't go places off of campus. Anyway, <laughs> that's a different story about how sad my college was. <laughs> Katie's drinking tea mm-hmm. to get her in the proper depressed mindset. Yeah. Wait, how sad college was. That's a different episode. That's a different episode. Yeah, I had a hard time in college. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's okay. Well, until I met you guys. I had... I feel like all the times are hard and good at the same time all the time. Yeah, that's true. And you can't, I think that you can't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, so I'm grateful for sadness, I guess, sometimes, at least in retrospect. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, college was hard. I just went to like the best place that was the furthest away from home and I was homesick and I didn't really know what I wanted to study. Well, I wanted to be an actor and then I came away from that, blah, blah, blah. I was just depressed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you never got back to acting, and that was the end. And of everyone, that. and and here also I am. check out Disney owns you <laughs> on the Small Beans YouTube channel. I guess we've started. Yeah. Oh yeah. Long ago, <laughs> I was checking levels. I'll decide later how much boba stuff to leave in. Sure. Sure. Um. But yeah, boba was the thing, and then froyo after that. Oh, froyo! Then, yeah. I absolutely got behind. Really? Oh yeah. Real. Ice cream, people. Because it felt like... What like, is wrong with ice cream? Well, it comes back to what first you're like, oh, this is healthier than mm-hmm. ice cream. And you no, quickly realize that it's not. And you're like, as you pile Oreo crumbles <laughs> right. onto it, you're like, the topics well, are the best part. That was like, when I was really strict with my eating, I, Froyo was the treat that I would have. And I would give it, <laughs> put a lot of fruit in there. I'd get a lot of ice cream, but I'd get a lot of fruit too. So I felt mm-hmm. like it was being okay. Is it? Um, no, it's just oh, a I lot of... Sh- no, <laughs> I mean, it's probably... It's less fat 
than okay. ice cream. But if you're going to have a treat, you might as well have a, a treat. That's I switched to having like four diet sodas every day mm-hmm. to having a regular soda like twice a week. See? Because it's like, if you're going to have the thing, have the thing. Exactly. That's how I feel. And that's how I stopped. You don't know what saccharin and aspartame is doing to you. It's not good. And then once you have like a, once you get a little bit of space from Diet Coke, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you start to realize how bad it tastes. That's the other thing. It's unbelievably disgusting. I used to have four Diet Cokes a day. And now like people who still drink Diet Coke every day will be like, do you want to sip this? I'll be like, that is so bad. So so gross it's you're kinda, sacrificing so much yeah for that diet and tag. you're still it's still not good for you so yeah. exactly you might as well have the real thing and then you don't end up drinking the whole can of soda sometimes Usually, you know yeah um which is why they had to start selling those half cans and I i'm love. all about those half oh, cans like <laughs> all they need is to throw some jelly balls in them get some little and we're all little set. boba phlegms floating <laughs> about <laughs> boba phlegm the galaxy's <laughs> most dangerous bounty hunter did you uh, have a pet in college? I'm bringing it to the top so I we can start. I did have a pet in college, <laughs> sort of. Um, well, we're I, talking about pets and the loss of pets today yeah. with my good friend Katie Stoll. Yeah, because we've both lost pets recently. Very recently, yeah. Um, I did have pets so what's in your college. your pet history? Yeah, I mean, we. I've always had pets since I was little. My, my dad's always had golden retrievers, mm-hmm. and we've always had at least one cat. Um, so I've had several cats in my life that have met uh, their untimely end, okay. um, in various ways. I'm learning that cats seem to have a harder time than dogs. Well, if alive. they're, if they're going to go outside anyway, they, yeah. do. um, you get hit by a car or some animal or whatever, or you just don't come back, yeah. but that happened. But you know, those are all pets that you have, but your parents really take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I named them, I loved them, but they weren't like, there's a difference, you right. know, um, uh, or I guess even as an adult, like I'm like have a really special relationship to my parents' animals right now, um, okay. even though they aren't mine. But anyway, so when I was in college, I guess <laughs> my roommate, my college roommate for all four years, Emily Loeb, if you're listening, um, shout out, shout out to Emily. <laughs> She's probably not listening. Um, <laughs> but she uh, and I really wanted a cat, and we just moved into this condo, mm-hmm. and um, our other roommate did not want a cat. Okay, um, but we were such dicks and we just did it anyway <laughs> but we got two cats because they were a you know they get, did you ask and they said no and then you did said, it anyway i think that that's how it went down that's um it's like there's actually, no well she was like, awful she was was she it but wasn't it's that true bad that she can be like you asked me and i said yeah. no and then Wait, you did I, it anyway i'm doing like the broad strokes might have a very bad memory um i feel like that sort of it, it couldn't have been that simple i think that she said probably like Mm, I don't know. I don't really like, I'm not sure, you know, mm-hmm. like gave a wishy-washy answer. And, and the then you guys were like, she'll come to well, love the cat. Kind of. But <laughs> she also was going to be moving out soon. Okay. Like there was this thing, but no, it wasn't cool. Anyway, we got these two cats. We named them Rilo Kylie, <laughs> Rilo and, and Kylie. Kylie. Okay, after right. the van, um, like you would do in college. And it didn't last long. They were sick. We didn't have the money to take care of them. Emily once tried to, she thought we got flushable cat litter, which I didn't even know that that's a thing. And Is she, it a thing? No, it's not. Okay. And she tried to, she flushed all the cat litter down the toilet. So like scooped the pee and poo and flushed it? <laughs> yes. Or dumped the entire. No, I think she scooped the pee and poo. Regardless, it to ruined the, the toilet. You have to change the whole litter. You have to change the whole litter. And if you tried to flush that, you'd be in. Yeah, terrible. (laughs) Um, So anyway, but the cats had the feline HIV, the cold thing. um, And uh, her parents happened to have like a farm. So 
I don't we, know much about. Is that fatal for cats? It's not. They live. You can. Thing? You just. Okay. You know. But they just had more health issues than. Okay. Sure. You know, in, in in general, so they were happier in a big yard area, and they lived nice long lives. So that was my first. But that's not what we're here to talk about. You can cut all that out if you want. Of course not. Did you feel <laughs> guilt about living separately from them? Yeah, but, Even, we, but like, we didn't have them for very long. So it was mm-hmm. quickly apparent that we... Okay. And then also the roommate tension and whatnot. So we... Her parents... That it just wasn't terrible. Yeah, and I didn't feel good about it. But it also okay. wasn't like... It was a good learning lesson about being really ready for an animal that you... You know, like... Right. That you can't just... But some pets I have lost... By like necessity of moving or whatever right. logistics, I guess, which is rare. I usually feel like it's a grave responsibility. Yeah. But man, in LA, it is tough to is find a place where have, your pet is acceptable. It is yeah. really difficult. Um, so when I wanted to pursue this dream, I kind of had to like be more flexible with pet situations. Yeah. And I always make sure they live a nice long life wherever they end up. But yeah. I still feel like, but what if he misses me? I know it's yeah. hard, and they—I'm sure that they do, but they also have a lot of love, you know. Like they, but can, I'm sure that they adapt. They and adapt. Are like fine where they are. Well, doing also whatever. cats specifically. Well, you know, and it depends on the personality. Right. Well, I want to talk about all pet history and pet loss, but um, yeah, I can cert- I can do a thumbnail of my pet history. I've had some bad luck, but I've been a, like I grew up a dog person only, mm-hmm. and in fact. So my in my earliest memory phase of childhood, we had a dog called Lady, who by the time I had memories of her was already 18 years old. Okay. And she had been, my mom rescued her from a guy down the street who was abusing her. He would like kick her. And oh, man. He cut her tail off with a butcher knife. Oh, that's awful. Well, the good story is, so she stole Lady. <laughs> Your mom's she, a badass. She lives to 20. She is. And... One time the guy was like cruising around the block and he saw them and he was like, I think that's my dog. And lady just started like going crazy, like really? barking and growling. And she was like, I don't think it is. And he drove away. <laughs> yeah. and, but anyway, I hated her because by the time I remember her, she was 18 mm-hmm. and she was like a scabrous, yeah. like stinky carpet like, that was blind. And yeah. Like, like had goo everywhere. Nothing yeah. cute about it. And then we only had one. Well, we had two cats, thing one and thing two, but we got hit by cars. <laughs> See? Oh, that's awful. And then Caledonia, where my parents were like, well, we learned our lesson inside cat. Yeah. And I don't know what they did wrong or if it's genetic, but Caledonia like ruined me on cats. Really? As little kids, like I remember being on the borderline of toddler, like clumsy while walking. Yeah. Caledonia would spring out of a bush, <laughs> hold me down and scratch my face no. over and over. Like it was well, actually it's interesting. traumatic. Sometimes cats have a hard time adapting or like or resent kids. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I, I think that I think I'm it's more like when cats. you're a baby. I think that that's more usual. Like it is. It's one of my baby memories is me going in and like spitting blood out and being like, wow, <laughs> she scratched the inside of my mouth. Like yeah. the, she reached in my mouth and oh scratched my, my mouth inside. That's a terrible cat experience. <laughs> yeah. And she got hit by a car and I was like, that's fine. <laughs> but I was just a baby. Right. Know. No, but that's interesting. Probably because it's like protective or right. whatever. So then I hated cats so much that my parents never got cats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll rush through this. But uh, I had dogs and something always forced me to get rid of them. Yeah. And it was you said you named them after bands. I always named them after sci-fi writers. <laughs> yeah. So I had Isaac 
Isaac Asimov, Ayad Ellison, Harlan Ellison, <laughs> etc. And uh, hi, well, one got away and was gone, and we don't know what happened. Uh, like, you know, found yeah. a hole in the fence. Um, and then one was a hound dog, a basset hound, which oh. I always wanted. And she howled. I was going to say, she howled so much? But only during the day, and we kept her in at night. Yeah. But one of our neighbors, to Hated this day it. unknown, s- works at night and sleeps yeah. during the day. And they left an anonymous note saying, I work during the night and I sleep during the day, and I will poison your dog with <gasps> beef through the fence if you, oh, like, don't wow. give it away. So we gave it a... That's an awful tell. story. We... Ugh. I might cut this out later, so yeah. I'm leaving a gap. I don't know. This show's about fucking life. This happened. Yeah. I mean, this isn't your fault. That's a terrible story. No, no, no. I don't mean that. I mean the next part, which is far oh. worse. We gave that dog away to my cousin who had a Rottweiler <gasps> who raped it to death. Oh, my God. And like as a 12-year-old, they gave me the news that like that's what happened to my dog. Oh, no. Dog. That should have circuit-coated And that. that was fucking one of the worst memories that of my childhood. That is an awful story, Michael. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm no, like, no, no. Out, I'm like, should I cut out the last beat to like protect people? But that happened to me and no, I was 12 that's and I had fine. to hear that also, shit. Also, I, I had not thought that that would happen. So No, and of course my cousin was like, we did not think that would happen. We're so sorry. It happened like all at once? No, like she lived there for like six weeks and they have a Rottweiler and a Pitbull who are super, super yeah. friendly. I imagine the Rottweiler thought it would be okay to have yeah. sex with, but it's like too small. Oh, poor um, baby. Yeah, that was really, really rough. And then uh, I think I know who those neighbors were because the later there were neighbors on the block who we saw had a dog hanging from their tree <gasps> limb. Like, by the neck so that its back legs could just touch the ground. And we called, like, animal control on them. This is nuts. Getting, I know. That is <laughs> I've had a crazy pet. Like, well, this wasn't me. This was, like, some guys on the block. Yeah. Um, Or maybe I'm totally wrong, but I'm like, that must be. They hate dogs. No, so that it has to be. Anybody that would leave a note, note saying, yeah. I'm going to poison your dog. They said, I'll just feed poison beef through that the is fence sick. and there's nothing you can do that is i mean Signed i might anonymous. i might <laughs> have reported that to the cops that's so aggressive and yeah, threatening i guess we just felt like right. how would they find anything right. or do anything no i now. get that it only occurs to me now like yeah. but oof. all right so anyway two more and then the rest yeah. of the show will focus on you and oh, then the no, present please. um but these things i realized while thinking about this episode are super pertinent to how i feel about pets which is that they're kind of a doomed relationship but that's just been my experience <laughs> Um, so I finally opened myself to the idea of cats with a cat called Meepo, mm-hmm. who we let be an outdoor cat. Yeah, Meepo. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, this coincided with my divorce, which was due to infidelity. <laughs> and so there's this crazy story I know if you've heard, but the audience might not have heard, which is I was like standing outside with my friend on the porch and Meepo is an outdoor cat because she was super into hunting and shit. And... Uh, actually saw her get hit by a car and like screamed at the people and they like looked at me and put on the gas and like kept going like we're not going to deal with this and she crawled across the street on her front legs and crawled into my lap and died in my lap and my friend Michael that is the most traumatic story our mutual friend Noah Byrne can back this up is exactly how it happened and he was like man, I can't believe this is happening Like <laughs> while it was happening. He's like, I'm sorry. This is insane, dude. Oh, man. It makes me 
that hurts me so much. Um, yeah, no, no, no. It's an important story. That's awful. At right. least you were there. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you were there for her. So I learned two things. In LA, no outdoor cats. Yeah. That was my first cat, and I'll feel guilty forever because I don't do outdoor cats anymore. Um, and then also, I called my ex and was like, you have to come home. Meepo died. And she was like, I have to tell you something. Oh, I'm God. hooking up with this dude, so I'm staying at his house and I'm not coming home. So I was like, this is a bad night. This is this is a terrible night. <laughs> yeah. Um, but back to pets. So that was my cat experience. And then uh, I finally recently gave in again and got two cats, so you know yeah. why. And so far, so good. Uh, and then my family dog from that point forward, we've always had chihuahuas. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, just coincidence. <laughs> And then catching us up to the present, most recently, my chihuahua Dusty died, but he was put down at age, I think, 17. Yeah, that's a nice life. Yeah, and the vet recommended it. So dogs have gone well for me, and I feel like now that I keep my cats scrupulously indoors, they'll probably live a natural lifespan. Yeah, for in general. Um, yeah. Unless what happens to my cat happens. Um, have you had... Okay, so your turn. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to keep track of all of the cats and dogs that my family have had. Have you had Um, an intense number of pets? Yeah. I mean, we've always had, yeah, always. So I think my dad had Brandy and another dog. Forget. They both got hit by a car. They both got out. The gate was left open. Somehow and got the dogs out and they both got hit by a car. And it was hard for my dad. Um, It was before I was born. Then we had, um, I I just can't remember. We've always had Goldens. Uh, As far back as I can remember, we had um, Samantha when I was like a kid, and she was beautiful. Then we had Murphy. With the human um, names. I Are know. all your pets human names? Um, mostly. Okay. The new, my dad's current dog well, Rilo, is. Well, Rilo, Kylie, I guess. Well, right. That was the only time that I did something like that. Um, uh, uh, my dad's current dog is Indiana for Indiana Bones. Indiana um, was the dog's yeah. name. <laughs> and, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were they're all wonderful golden retrievers. Um and then tons of cats. Right now they have Jolie. Before that we had Tucker. Um but I uh <laughs> <Not> Tucker Cattleson. <laughs> Tucker Katzen. Um uh, he died. Um uh, but they all have all of our cats once we stopped. Well, Jolie's an outdoor cat too. She's an indoor outdoor. She has to be. And we've got the space for it. So they're unhappy. Depends There's an on element the depends on the neighborhood. There's an element of if they're gonna be unhappy inside, you know, right. really, really desperately have that like instincts to go outside but it just but if and when they get hit by a car even at age like seven and you realize that they could have lived so much longer it just highlights in a painful way like yeah we've changed the earth and society and habitats to the point where these animals can't live yeah that's sad yeah it's true (laughs) um absolutely um but my most current well and so uh i got henry Mm-hmm. Um, I love Henry. Hey, sweet Henry, baby. <laughs> About eight years ago, so he's my first pet as an adult, and I had I got him after a breakup and as a tiny tiny little thing, and um, so he it was just him and I for a while, and then once Cody and I started dating, mm-hmm. um, he took to Cody and eventually, and then Cody and I got Maggie, um, and that was the rough pupper. the puppy, and then one time when we were at YouTube Space. Uh, we found a cat stuck in a car engine, uh, and we took him home. Just so did my brother. It's at yeah. YouTube Space. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, my brother found a cat stuck in a car engine. It's a little tiny kitten had a crawled kitten up there for warmth. Yeah, in SF, um, named Milton, and my mom inherited yeah. him. Yeah, but he, um, but it was really hot, and so like if he got stuck in there, like it was 
pretty scary. Yeah. Um, so we got him out and we fostered him. And then. How did you know? Did you hear meowing? Yeah, I got out of the car and it was meow. Was it your engine? It was in the car next to where we parked. Oh, okay. And um, it was when we were going for rehearsal. <laughs> Listen for to s- that baby purr. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this engine's sweet, Dark dude. joke. Sounds like um, a kitten, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, Little tiny baby one. <laughs> it uh, stopped. What do you think that means? <laughs> um, Something with the carburetor. Yeah, we were on our way to rehearsal for Starship Icarus. Oh. Um, so we got this kitten and we fostered him. And then he and Maggie bonded. Never bonded with Henry. Anyway, fast forward, Cody and I broke up. Uh, spoiler alert. Uh, and so now we share custody of Maggie. Um, and he has Otto and I had Henry. Um, okay. And um, Henry, so it was back to just mostly Henry and I. Yeah. Um, and then about f- three weeks ago, four weeks ago, uh, I had to put him to sleep. And it mm. was really, really hard. So he was a- eight? He was eight. Oof, that's too young. It's I'm too sorry. young. Yeah. yeah. And he is really What was his issue? It's complicated. Um he is a big boy. He loved his okay. food. And he always wanted to go out and I didn't really let him. I have mm-hmm. an enclosed community area now, like but gated. Yeah. And could he have gotten out of the he, he wouldn't have. He could have theoretically. Oh, okay. And every so often there are skunks wandering around. But there's another, there are two other cats in mm-hmm. the complex. And one of them has free reign. And he would always come up and meow at the door. And then the few like times. play with Henry. Yeah. And the few times Henry got out. I experimented a little bit mm-hmm. until he didn't come home one night. Um, but they would start purring and rolling around immediately. Oh. It was very hard to keep him Adorable. inside. Very cute. Yeah. That's the thing. It's. It's tough to keep your cats inside until one is hit by a car yeah. and you're like, I guess I have yeah. to. Yeah. But it was such a like enclosed space and like that other cat didn't ever leave it, didn't leave the gates. It would be hard for him to get out and Henry's sure. too skittish too. But anyway, so when he did, I didn't freak out, but I tried to keep him inside. Okay. Um, some cats are obsessed with escaping and some yeah. are not. I don't know why. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so Henry was really fat because, you know, I didn't let him have his freedom. So I had to let him, had to let him have his food. Um. <laughs> And then one day I noticed, or a couple days I noticed he was eating less and then he really wasn't eating. Mm. So I took him in and they just did some general blood work and x-rays and they said um, that his liver levels were really elevated, which is essentially hepatitis, which is what my brother died of, ironically. Um, uh, And, but that happens when a cat stops eating, especially an overweight cat, because it can't, the liver can't digest the fat stores mm-hmm. um so it basically starts poisoning him and then so rush him to a real emergency clinic that could do mm-hmm. like better things for him um and they said that what was causing him to not eat was um a double whammy of liver disease and pancreatitis and the liver disease was likely could very strong could possibly be leukemia um oh boy. but I couldn't do, well, first of all, I couldn't afford to do the biopsy right, right then. Later yeah. on, some people stepped up and offered and, you know, I did a little Kickstarter. If mm-hmm. you guys contributed, thank you so much. It made it possible for me to do any of this stuff. Um, and uh, he, but we wanted to get him strong first and like treat treat it the way that they would treat leukemia like this stuff anyway and see if the pancreatitis clears up and everything clears up and if that affects his appetite in which case he could live at least a few more years even if it was leukemia Mm -hmm. potentially um 
And so then we started doing that and he got a tube put in his neck and I was like blending up his food and feeding him every few hours and had to do IV fluids Mm -hmm. every other day and water through it, tons of medicines and stuff. And we did that for like a month and it just wasn't getting better. Yeah. He was like shivering and crying and, Mm. or just like hiding. He would demand to be in my lap. Like I mean, he always, yeah. But then if I moved, he'd bite me or like, cry. Oh, no. he was yeah. just really uncomfortable. Not yeah. like a mean bite. Like no, he I can't mean. breathe. Yeah. Um, and it was really stressful um, and isolating because mm-hmm. you couldn't really do much. Um, and then one day, this is, this was awful. Um, so the tube had been put into his neck and so it went down his throat through his mm-hmm. neck. And then like, I think that I fed him too fast. I don't know. He got really good at it. So I, don't know why whatever it was I, I don't know why it reacted like this but he started gagging and he started throwing up and he threw the tube out mm. so it was coming in ad- through his neck and then up out of his throat oh, out no. of his mouth and he was oh, choking on God. it and I was like freaking out because the hospital's so pretty far episode, away <laughs> yeah anyway I knew it would be yeah I took him to the doctor real quick and she fixed that so he could at least breathe and then I had to go back to the place to the animal hospital and they were like uh, yeah. I mean, they said it's we time. could we could yeah. do another surgery to put the tube back in place, which was really expensive. Right. Um, and see, but his none of his, none of his like levels have changed. He's only been getting worse. And the doctor was like, if it was me, I would. This is where I would stop. Mm-hmm. And so we put him to sleep. <sighs> well, it's so hard because they <clears throat> if. If a human's at 85 and they start to get uncomfortable, they can mm-hmm. say, this is too uncomfortable, I would rather yeah. call it. And you f- feel at the same time, I just went through this with Dusty, and I think one of the main things I took away was like, wow, it's so hard to make the call. And it's not because you care about your pets more than you care about a human or anything like that. But it's that they can't, at the end of their lives, they get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and you have to like decide. Yeah to kill them yeah it's absolutely and because so dusty started in the last couple years well first of all there's a similar experience in the middle of his life where he used to jump super high out of excitement when he saw you uh like a tiny little chihuahua and he would jump like uh you know five feet in the air so cute and he did it so much once sorry he did it so much once that he snapped his spine. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he was paralyzed from the waist down. And this is the other time that an animal has crawled to me on its front legs. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so I'm, well, I have to laugh. But my family, please do. My, we all came home from a trip and I, I was like 16. So I was driving a separate car and I got there minutes before everyone else. And Dusty was so excited to see me. Broke his back. <laughs> And then I try. I was like, what's wrong? And I reached towards him and he bit me hard and like wow. drew blood because he was in pain yeah. and didn't know what was going on. So I ran to the other room to call my like parents to ask what to do. And they told me to call the vet, obviously. But as I was like sitting on the floor on the phone talking to my parents, he came into the room crawling on his oh, front legs. Oh, no. Oh, and, God. And like licked my hands where he had bit me. Oh, that's so like sweet. Like he felt bad. Yeah. Oh, that's poor baby. Yeah. And and my mom spent five grand on like a spinal surgery for I'm him. I'm surprised it didn't cost more. And it might have. That's my memory of it. But at the time, even me and my brother were like, we understand if you can't do yeah. that for just an animal. But she did. And it totally turned out to be worth it. He lived 10 more years. Was he always paralyzed? No, no, no. I mean, it was oh, completely okay. fixed. He actually like, 
It's just like a human. He was like yeah. at a doggy outpatient clinic for six weeks, and oh we would come God. visit him and see That's that really a physical therapist was working with him to get him to walk Darling. Again. Oh. It was cute. Oh. Um, but for the last years of his <laughs> life, just like will happen to all of us if we live long enough, he had a bunch of just like normal yeah. physical ailments, and it was so hard to call when it's too uncomfortable. Like he yeah. became incontinent, so he shit everywhere at any time. He's blind and deaf, um, but he still eats. Yeah. And... I could be blind and deaf and shit myself and not want to die. Yeah. It's hard. It's like such a hard call to make. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my parents eventually, uh, he started just like acting demented, like leaning against the wall and uh, screaming all night with like a baby scream. (laughs) Like it was really sounded awful. And so he took him in and the vet said the same thing. Like if it was me, I would call it. Um, But you don't have, they're like, we can make him comfortable. He might live another six weeks, but yeah. No, and it, it's, it's, it is hard, but because you feel guilty. It's like, yeah, my quality of life is suffering right now, but right. so what <laughs> is like how I felt, but it was, it was suffering. I was very depressed, you yeah. know, uh, outside all of the time. It makes it hard to work or do yeah. anything. Yeah. And, um, and I would have, if they had said, we think he can recover for this from this. Or we think that he'll have, bear with us, it'll, you know, then it'll yeah. be, he'll have a few more years. Sure, but that wasn't the situation. Well, I think to my parents' credit, they had gone in a year and a half earlier and the vet had said, they did a full workup and they said, uh, yeah, he's definitely incontinent. He's going to shit all mm. over your house for as long as he lives for the rest of his life. You're going to have to like do laundry constantly and clean the carpet constantly. But his lungs and heart are fine. He could live another five years. <laughs> and they asked that they're like, if we decided to put him down for our own lives convenience, like, would we yeah. be evil? Because they just bought a new house and he yeah. seriously shat in every square inch of the house. Poor baby. Yeah. And we said no. And they were still like, we can't do it. We're going to keep him alive as long. That as blows we'll me away. Up That's shit. a big deal. Yeah. Um, They did. They I mean, 17 years is a really long time. Yeah, they're already they're fostering a series of chihuahuas now to, oh, to that's replace good. to like pick one. That's good. I can't. I'm not ready, but this I'm was ready. Due. But I live. I can't. Right. I'm waiting to live in a place where a where dog you is could. allowed. Yeah. yeah, I want a dog so bad as soon as possible. That was life changing for me actually because I didn't mm-hmm. think that I was a, even though we always had dogs. I didn't think I was a dog person until we got Maggie, um, and uh, I didn't realize the kind of connection that you could have with a dog you know and and henry and i had a deep connection but he was still a cat there's um an aloofness to cats Mm -hmm. which i love um and he was a lot like a dog henry was definitely like a the most uh canine cat i've ever met yeah um but it just there's something different um did you ever meet ben folds no okay that was abe's cat and his roommate's cat in college he was very dog-like too yeah yeah an orange cat right yeah, orange tabby. Yes. Yeah, so and because of how loving he was, I've always wanted an orange tabby. Which yeah. I well, that's yet. what Henry. Yeah. He yeah, was he like was, I know. a pretty buff colored orange. But. And do you know, um, shoot, I wish I could remember the name. Something Rex. There are these. Okay. You know how like <laughs> suddenly there was a new kind of stuffed animal where the fur was not follicles of hair that all stick up. Uh-huh. straight from, you know, sewn in. Yeah. But was like wavy, really smooth, fun sort to touch of. hair. Yeah, yeah. Shiny. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. There are cats 
that are that. Oh, sure. There's something Rexes, and they're almost hairless, but they're not. Oh, weird. And a lot of people think they look ugly. I don't. I really like I them. love, I think hairless cats in general also are gorgeous. I think fully hairless. I understand why people think they're, they're creepy. They're so soft. But these are, right, you look at them and you're like, that wouldn't be fun to touch. No, they feel so amazing yeah. to pet. It's like a cashmere sweater. Or yeah. Something. But anyway, my uh, friends of our family had one of those. And I have to say something inappropriate. And this was another time. I did not name this cat. This cat was dead before I was 10 years old. But his name was Ricky Retardo. Oh, no. (laughs) Because he had actually been diagnosed as like, they said, we're going to put this cat down from this litter because its mental faculties are impaired. It doesn't stand a good chance. And they're like, no, give it to us. We're going to name it something problematic. (laughs) Um, But he would. He was so fucking cute. Because he would do the thing that regular cats do occasionally, but he would do it 20 times a day where he thinks he can make a jump that oh, he absolutely cannot make. <laughs> and it was so cute. Oh, he sounds like the best cat ever. He was the best. And they had like four hairless cats and I love them. <laughs> and everyone, all of my friends were like, no, they're ugly. And I was like, they're I beautiful. I think they're so cool. Uh, do you know, uh, our fr- my friend Nelly um, uh, has a hairless cat named mm. Chicken. And... <laughs> See, I, I don't, chicken is. I'm against the human so, names for pets. I like chicken. I just like like this. There's something distinguished. El, little Elliot, you know. I don't know. Yeah. There's something about a cat. Well, here's the thing. I want a cat and dog named Pixel and Mustard. Those will be my That's next fun. acquisitions. Well, I think that that has to, like what a fun part of being a vet. Mm-hmm. Um, so how is Mister Retardo today? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. How is Widow Baby? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Widow Little. Baby's got a bad day. Had a bad day. Have you ever seen how uh, horses that are like racehorses, they'll have a name like Little Thunder oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But on their official licensure or whatever, their name is like a child who stands in the river barking nightly. <laughs> like for some reason they'll have like or like Martha the Third super lucky horse that always wins. They have that's to have this so really, long, <laughs> really specific. Funny. Yeah, yeah. They're really long and specific. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I don't know anything about that. It has something to do with horse registration. Yeah. That's not the topic for today. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. You were saying? I don't know. Oh, okay. Because um, yeah. I have I have topic starters. Oh, cool. As well. Um, I did want to tell one brief story about Dusty's getting put down, which was that it's a very, very small mountain town where my parents live now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to shout them out because I don't want to like cause anyone grief. But the vet sucks. They did. Yeah. They didn't do a bad job putting him down. I don't think the advice was wrong that it was time. But they kept his frozen body like just in their freezer what? for a week and a half. What? And my parents had paid to have it transported to be cremated, right? Yeah. And they were like, well, we're on the mountain. So we just, the guy comes whenever he comes and goes whenever he goes. And they're like, we really want this taken care of. And they're like, well, you can pick it up and do it. So my mom transported our dead dog's frozen body herself. No, no, no. I said, she's a very spiritual person and a cool person. I don't always understand, but I appreciate because this is not what I would do, but I think it's cool. I was like, to me, that sounds horrible. Yeah. That sounds like the worst experience. Cause I mean, we were all there for his actual death 
and I bawled for it's hours. Unbelievably painful. Yeah, it's insane. You almost you don't expect. I mean, I expected to be sad, but I didn't expect it to hit me so deeply. I didn't expect to completely lose control yeah. and cry hysterically. Yeah, me too. And have to like be rest- I had to be restrained. I cradled him like a dying yeah. baby and was like, "I'll miss you forever." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like stuff like that. Yeah. yeah and I then so breathe. I was like, "I can't understand how you did that." And she was like, "I really liked it. It was fun. I got to see him again cuz she is very she believes yeah. that he is like still there." Yeah. Which I don't, but that's fine. And she was like, I went through Burger King and got him his favorite burger I used to feed him. Oh. And like held it up to his snout and was like, here's your last burger, Dusty. <laughs> and I was like, that's so weird. Your mom is so funny. <laughs> and then she had, yeah. And she brought his ashes home and now they, it's like a kid who dies where you don't change their room. Yes. His ashes are in an urn in his dog bed where it was on the couch. That's funny. And they are not to be moved. Yeah. <laughs> so, what if when there's a new dog wants to lay there? Yeah, I don't know. Um, when I after Henry died, yeah, um, they asked me, you know, cremation. Do you want it individual or with the other animals? Or, oh boy! And I was I like, didn't know they do that. Uh, individual, definitely. And yeah. I said before I left, I'm like, you're not gonna just like mail it to me, right? Um, I come and pick them up. And they're like, oh God, no, of course we wouldn't just mail it to you. Definitely, you'll get a phone call and mm-hmm. they'll tell you where to pick it up. Four days later, I come home and there's this box haphazardly thrown like half on my porch, half on the Man. front, first step, pet remains. And it I, says pet remains pet on the remains, outside of the box. Like thrown very casually on yeah. my front step, like tittering on the side. I couldn't. And you live in a complex where like people coming home, yeah. walking down the central area to get to their door will be like, oh, someone's pet died. Yeah. Like that's weird. Yeah. It was weird and shocking because uh, yeah. I specifically talked. I mean, if I'd known that it was going to be shipped, at least I would have like in my mind. No, this is only two data points, but maybe this is something we're learning about vets. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, my parents talked very specifically well, like and there's like a system. Right. And they're like, yeah, we'll burn him in within 48 hours and he'll yeah. be. We'll call you to pick him up. And they're like, that didn't happen. Didn't happen. Yeah. Um, yeah well, I have a whole other thing. There was a time oh, when Maggie ate chocolate and we took her to the vet and uh, she, it was just some cupcakes. We didn't need to over, we're just overly mm-hmm. cautious. And then uh, they gave her some fluids, give her an injection under the skin of IV fluids subcutaneous fluids the next day she couldn't walk um and was crying um and where they injected her was completely red and swollen and it turns out they gave her e coli because they reused the goddamn needles oh my god but and she survived she survived but she was in the hospital for like over a week what and like we didn't know and it caused liver damage and all this stuff so vet your vets people vet your vets (laughs) anyway that was a brief tangent she's healthy and lovely yeah maggie's great um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I have lots of stories, but mm-hmm. you know, please, we have lots of time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I mean, well, this was weird. Uh, and thankfully Cody came with me. Mm-hmm. Thanks Cody. Uh, he's a great friend and, you know, lived with Henry for yeah. a long time. So he was there with me when we decided to, to put him to sleep. Right. And like, um, and so they had taken him back and we were waiting. Oh, first I'm going to say that my brother, if you guys listen to our other podcast, my brother yeah. who passed away a while back, his name was Coco. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting there um, waiting and then the nurse comes out 
and we're the only people that I can see around. Like there aren't other pets waiting around the corner. And they come out and they go, for Coco? Coco? Is Coco Whoa. here? And like my hair stands on, I like freeze. Was and it like, just a coincidence? Cody like grabbed my knee like, did you fucking hear that? Yeah. Um, And then she walked back. And then we were the next people called. Oh, it was someone else. It was. So, okay. I mean, they were calling. They right. weren't calling out for my bro, but like they were calling. It was just like a really intense moment. Of but like, there was no one else in the lobby at the time. They might have been in another part. Right. I'll be. No, I know. I'll be That's like nuts. give yeah. that credit, but yeah. not in our. We were in the main part, and mm. um, there wasn't <laughs> anybody else there. Um, so it was. I, I, it, at that point, I was like, Yeah. I feel like they're gonna tell me this is it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it felt like a, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, yeah. I'm spiritual, not like too hooky booky, but I believe in things and I believe in like paying attention. Like I don't super believe in coincidences. Um, I don't like, maybe that's just comforting to me, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I think that things happen and you should pay attention and like, listen to what you be perceptive of what's happening around you. And yeah. it, it brought me a little bit of peace anyway. Yeah, I don't know all about all that. <laughs> I get it, and I and I don't think that I, I mean I don't. No, think no, that I most, mean I don't know in the true sense. I'm not. Yeah, no, I mean I truly don't know. Yeah, uh, no, me either. But I find but it. Oh, my mom will be like, right, like a friend of ours who killed himself. She'll be like, a bunch of monarch butterflies have been coming around me. I think that's a sign that so and so is okay. They're sending those butterflies, and I'm like, if I could press a button that would make me believe that, I yeah. absolutely would. Yeah. I just don't feel that. Yeah, that means that. But yeah, okay. and there is something to be said about looking for those things, and then yeah. they happen. But also, isn't that peaceful? And and if you can, right? I just uh, I do believe in uh, like I, I, I energy and being all connected in a certain way. And There's so much <laughs> more to the underlying rules of the universe than we can yeah. comprehend. I'm open to anything. Yeah, but I I like yeah. that idea. So totally. when I and I don't 100 percent believe it, but I. Whenever things present itself, I just take it. <laughs> I get, I mean, a lot of people say faith is a choice. And it's, I guess I don't feel that way because I feel like I'm someone who totally would choose to have faith if I could. And yet I can't. So yeah. it doesn't seem to be a choice to me. Yeah. I can't make myself believe something that is not intrinsic to my I being. don't think it is a choice. As far as like. Most of the basics religions go, I mean. Yeah. I would believe one of the, I would totally choose to believe one if it felt real in my bones that I could just choose and then I would yeah. believe it. Yeah. But I need like, it's like aliens. I know they exist and I want them to exist so bad, but I still need to see yeah. a UFO with my own eyes, which is actually weird because our senses are so fallible. Why would that even be proof? Like I right. could be hallucinating for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or you could just not be able to perceive something like right. you just, don't. there are so many things happening around us right now that we are incapable of, um, absorbing or per- yeah. perceiving through our senses or our, our senses are so limited. Imagine being a pet. I know that's, Let's I bring always it right back here. It's like, or I wonder if their brains are in a place where like our high level of sentience allows us to doubt and question. Yeah. Like when a cat goes to a new place or let's say a cat, when the first time they see a car, do they just, do they try to figure out, is that a large animal that moves fast? Yeah. Or do they just go, there's that thing. It is what it is. Yeah. I accept that it exists. It's probably more that. That 
isn't that's so funny because like that's what humans wish they could do yeah we're all trying to like do that well i always wonder people are like oh be careful you might come back as you know an animal in your next life and reincarnation and i'm like is that maybe the goal <laughs> i mean because then it's like the most the zenest just instinct and uh you know yeah. the most pure form of us i do feel like and this is sort of an eckhart tolle paraphrase who himself is paraphrasing and like uniting a bunch of ideas that are thousands of years old but that meditation is about mindfulness and stillness and there's a great benefit to it and it gets you to a place by the way, shout out J. Cole's new album, <laughs> K.O.D., the song about meditation is amazing. All right. Um, don't medicate, meditate. Um, it's, uh, uh, well, oh, Eckhart Tolle. Is that like, it's interesting how an animal's mind is blank and then we've sort of evolved these big brains through chance or, you know, to survive that have given us this level of insight that is great and allows like to us to do a lot of shit, but it also causes all these deep existential crises yeah. that animals don't deal with. And our absolute best form would be a, a synthesis of both. So like our goal now is to return to an animal state, yeah. but not an animal state of like monkeys killing each other with right. bones, an animal state of how a bird sitting on a wire looking at the world yes. is just uh, existing yeah. and taking in sensory perceptions and not having any further thoughts about yeah. them. And when you're meditating, that's your goal. That's the goal is to do of that. that. Yeah. yeah. Is to be like, I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. I'm just experiencing that. Yeah. Thing. But and then I also think like, I'd love to come back as a dog. And then I'm like, most dogs probably don't have as good of a life as we give them. A fact what I've heard a lot, uh, that I don't, I can't cite, the evidence, but I think people should look it up, is that before dog food was invented, dogs had a lifespan of like 20 to 25 years. Really? Um, because humans, dogs lived on farms and yeah. they ate human food. And it's crazy to think like, because dogs lived back before dog yeah. food existed. So when Why you think about it, it makes total sense as you're like, what would make a dog live the longest? The same shit that would make any, like most other mammals live the longest. A good diet. <laughs> like a variety of like, yeah, nutrients and yeah. a lot of protein in the case Exercise. of a dog. <laughs> um, so when they just got table scraps, which is funny because now it's flipped where you think like table scraps are unhealthy. Are bad. Yeah. But dog, would you eat dog food yourself? No, it's of course low not. grade food that they're selling cheaply for your convenience. Smushed into a disgusting pellet. Anyway, if you want your dog to live longer and you really want your dog to live longer, there are recipes online of how to go to the hassle of making them food that's Which actually nutritionally so much work. <laughs> I did it for some of my dogs when they were puppies. So yeah. like for the first two years, they would get apple cider vinegar and probiotic really? powder and seaweed cut up with wow. like fresh chicken breast that I cooked and salted and peppered. And I did it for two years and then I switched to dog food and they did live way longer than the wow. other dogs I didn't do that with. Yeah. So I think it's real and I'm just putting it out there in case there's someone who's like, I have lots of free time. I want my dog to live extra long. I think it's really, I mean, my, Maggie is such a pig. She's gotten better about it, but she like will go days without eating sometimes because she doesn't like her food. Oh man. No, I don't let it do that, but okay. she would, I, I would feed her. Cats are more like, like my roommate's cats here will, if they don't, if I don't put out the wet food at a rate that they are pleased yeah. with, they'll starve themselves. <laughs> and I'm like, not, just, there's well, a huge a bowl of dry really food. They and they're like, do I don't it. want the dry food, man. 
They can't. We can't let it. You just be. If there's a lesson I've learned, it's make sure your cats eat every day, <laughs> because it happens fast. That hepato- hepatic lipidosis that happened to Henry. Yeah. The not eating. And generally, more than dogs, you have to like do whatever your cat wants. There's less yeah. of a way out. You, it's harder to teach them. It's harder to t- like make them change their behavior. They'll just continue to like vomit on your bed to show you they're displeased, and then walk to the bowl and be like. Are you dumb? Do you not understand what I'm saying? Wet food, motherfucker. (laughs) Now. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Henry was like, well, because here's the thing with cats. And I've heard this a couple times. I'm not sure if it's completely true. But they don't respond to negative, like to to no, like a dog does. Um, like you, you want to catch a dog and it's bad behavior and, and reprimand it immediately. Otherwise they forget. But a cat super does not associate that with this. So what you need to do is positive or reinforcement of good behavior. So like if he starts to go up and you know, he's going to scratch your couch, mm-hmm. call him over and then reward him. Good boy for that. And oh, like, that's smart. But that's, yeah. that's the only way, but that's we heard really hard. Ch- ch- instead of no, we go, ch- or ch- that, ch- ch- or like <laughs> spray the water. I tried right. that. Um, and that just makes but them may- mad. But it, they don't learn in the same way yeah. as dogs. Yeah. Oops, I keep hitting my mic. Um, I wish you'd stop hitting me, but it's okay. <laughs> easily, but you think you own me? That's weird. My mic. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. The, that's good to know. Yeah. Well, while we're doing PSAs, by the way, you made me remember, uh, Dusty once went under the, cause we got to tell some happy memories. Oh yeah. Dusty once went under the Christmas tree and opened all the presents <laughs> like on Christmas Eve and he ate an entire Terry's chocolate orange. Oh, that is so Which is funny. like a half pound orb of chocolate. And we're like, well, he's dead. Like he's going to well, die. Dep- was and it- he was just fine. Well, that's was the fallacy. Dark, it was 70% it was dark not. chocolate orange. And he orange, was fine. And he was fine. And I don't that know how. says to you about like that. Don't freak out. Be Take your do- vet do- dog. Take care of your dog. Don't let them eat chocolate. We took him to the vet. But like. And the vet was like, he seems okay. Let's observe yeah. him. And then he pooped several times. And they're like, he would have digested it by now. Yeah. It wasn't enough to poison him. He's okay. And we're like, that wasn't enough. It was like a baby's fist of chocolate. <laughs> He's a little dog. He's like, yeah, big for a chihuahua. He was 14 yeah. pounds. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that is big for a chihuahua. It is. That's Maggie's yeah. size. Maggie might be smaller than that. He was... He looks smaller than Maggie because he's more compact, yeah. but he's denser. Maggie's very long and elegant. <laughs> yeah, she's mostly fur. She's lightweight, too. She's lightweight, like, but she weighs the most she's ever weighed. Her individual, I don't know what this means, but like her, like her torso yeah. is light and her legs are light. She's Altogether, so she's funny heavy. when you get her wet because there's yep. nothing there. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> and yeah, I had a chihuahua once that was a long-haired chihuahua that weighed like two and a half pounds, <laughs> teacup chihuahua, flower. And when you bathed her, you were like, holy shit, your neck is thinner than my pinky finger. There's nothing to you. You're all hair only. You're like smaller than a rat. You're like flesh. (laughs) The amount of your flesh is less than a rat. Yeah. What are some, what are fun stories? Good stories. Good Henry stories. Well, he was featured heavily in uh, the startup, a series that we have. He's so funny because he he followed me around everywhere. So no matter what I'm doing, he wants to make it his business too. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the very first time we shot one, he, it was impossible for me to get him out of the frame. And then as I think Brendan, or maybe you cut the first one and he would just pop up in different spots. Like yep. every time I cut back to me, he'd be and in a different place. And because they use different takes based on like the, your best yeah. performances, 
he would teleport. <laughs> it's so like now funny. he's on the right side of the screen. <laughs> yeah. Faster than he could have been. Yeah. yeah. And then eventually I started, I, he chilled out, but he just would always be in the frame. Um, he did some good acting in that. Or like cats will occasionally amaze you with their timing. Oh yeah. Dogs don't. I can't get, I've, I mean, we've shot hundreds of things, so you can bet I've fucked around with thinking <laughs> yeah, if my dogs yeah. will be funny and if my cats will be funny. Uh, Abe and I tried once to recreate a scene from the Takashi <laughs> Miike film audition with Tiggy and Flower, <laughs> where Flower like cuts Tiggy's legs off and makes him eat a bowl of vomit. <laughs> so if you haven't seen that movie, it's like a super intense horror movie. <laughs> but it just it, you can't get them to do what the fuck you want them to do. But the cats. We just shot the that crappy, like not crappy. Yeah. I think it's funny, but we shot an improvised zero budget series called Life Hacks for Small Beans. Check it out if you missed it. And the best episodes were like I filmed the litter box and just started messing with it, like shaking it yeah. and seeing what the cats would do because I knew they'd become interested. Like, why right. are you yeah. doing that? Yeah. But the things they did were amazing. Like when, when they would get surprised, yeah. <laughs> when they would like cock their head and be curious and it cut together so well. Yeah. Cats are always fun to watch. That's what. So I'm now both a dog and a cat person. Yeah. And I never thought I'd be a cat person. Shout out Kendrick Lamar and Lewin Davis. I know they're human names, but at least they're from fiction. They are. It's true. <laughs> um, uh, but I feel like I've finally learned the truth of it is they're both good in different ways. Dogs are more fun to, to like, I think, be with physically, wrestle with. They are more likely when you go like, I'm sad. I want you on my lap. They go fine. They're so unquestionably excited when you get home from work or whatever. They like to wrestle. A cat does not like to wrestle. And, but they're way less fun to watch. A cat from afar is fucking entertaining. Yeah. I didn't get that until I had cats. And they're loving and wonderful in their own ways. At times that they choose. Yeah. It's just like, they'll they'll come up to you and be like, I'm totally in love with you, pet me, for like 15 minutes. Now leave me the fuck alone. Henry would never want to be left alone. Oh, really? Henry was, but it was too much. My dream is a cat like that. It was too much. Because I never had a cat like that. Mm -hmm. And dogs, the thing I miss about having a dog is, you know, because I struggle with depression, we wouldn't be doing this, but (laughs) I can come home on a rough day and be like, I need a pet on my lap now. And the cats go, I don't feel like being pet right now. Yeah. No, Henry always "Mm." wanted to. And I loved it. It wasn't like that it was too much. It was that I couldn't give him enough attention. Like you have to live your life. And it was easier when, you know, Cody and I lived together because there was another person to, there were other pets, but it, because you just can't always have a cat on your chest. (laughs) I'm sorry, babe. I think I could. You call? You think you could? I think I could. Okay. If you got a device for that if you purpose, got a device like a girdle slash bra with a big pouch in the oh, front. Oh, I could be into that. Because here's the thing: my Tawawa would sleep all day, as I wrote, for like six hours straight in a ball under my shirt. That is darling. Against my tummy, and I miss it so much. That is unbelievably yeah. cute. Yeah. Flower Tiggy. or Tiggy. I don't even mention his name because it makes me choke up. Yeah. 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 The same ex who I don't particularly care for at this point in my life in this phase of my journey. Sure. Um, ditched them with me for a year and a half. And I thought that meant I was going to keep yeah. them. So I really got felt that way. And then and they she, were there for you during a really hard time. And then she was like, I either want to take them or have joint custody. And I was like, but I don't want to talk to you ever again. Yeah. Is that's I'm. 
I'm not trying to talk shit. That's just how I feel about our my relationship with her, which I have a right to say. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, so I guess take them. And it was like you said, I was like, it'll be sad, but I'll get over it. Then literally, I have such a vivid memory of him looking at me out the back of the car, like being driven away with his oh. head cocked. And I like collapsed in a driveway onto my knees and wept and was like, I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> I abandoned my child. And it was like, I cried, like, uh, my girlfriend and her mom like took me to breakfast to cheer me up. And I cried all through breakfast, which is yeah. like in public, I can usually hold it together. It's so hard. But I was like, I know. steak and eggs, please. I medium rare. <laughs> yeah. I can't even imagine that. Um, I was like, "That's what Tiki would have wanted to eat." <laughs> oh, sweet babies! Yeah, um, I'm glad Cody and I are such good friends, so that we can. It was. It just wasn't healthy for us. No, to be it friends. couldn't have. You yeah. it, that's not sustainable. There's no way you could do that. The dogs, and it was hard so the on your other relationship. Of it. Yes, that's true. Um, and but this was but for Cody and I staying friends. Got out of it, and yeah. and we. It, does Mag- other work and everything. Does Maggie bounce back and forth? Still? She does. The hardest no. thing that I felt had. So Cody's, my place doesn't allow dogs. Um, and Cody's place does. He lives. I hope your landlord's a ten not minute. a fan of small beans. Um, <laughs> I knew it. Um, she lets a dog in there sometimes. Um, he, I tried to Airbnb my place when I first moved in because my place is cute as mm-hmm. fuck. It is. And um, he caught me within a month. Oh he was boy. like, I was on Airbnb and I saw your place. So he's up on that digital. Yeah, he so Googles he might, his own addresses to exactly. see what's going on. Yeah. He might he might listen to this. Um <laughs> but no, she doesn't live there. But I do take her part time and then um, you know, or when Cody was at the office and needed to leave her. So yeah. I would go and take her for the day and we'd go on adventures and maybe I drive because he lives so close to me that it's very easy for us to take her back and forth. Every time I go home mm-hmm. for all the holidays for like a week or two, she comes yeah. with me. Um, but I see her every, all the time, like every other day, at least. I have to say there was one percent of me when the breakup was happening that was like, if 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 they can't peaceably figure out how to divide Maggie, maybe <laughs> I'll get Maggie. <laughs> I love Maggie. Like I'm always looking. At I know, isn't she? Oh, she's amazing. My friend literally, because they just had their second kid, and they're like posted on Facebook. Okay, we love this cat, but we can't. We literally can't handle yeah. because it wakes us up every morning at 5 a.m. crying yeah. for food, and the baby's keeps us yeah. up till 2 a.m. and we both have full-time jobs. like rough. we're fucked can anyone take this cat this is not a joke and i immediately wrote like i'll absolutely take the joke uh the cat and he was like it was a joke you couldn't tell from the language it was no. a joke i'm like no i want your cat also, give me your cat nothing about that seemed like a joke well that was in the he phrased it out like this cat is now like the biggest asshole in my life seriously anyone want a oh, cat oh you're like this is a cat this is not a joke no and but you I was could just like, be an asshole <laughs> and i was like i'll take your cat this is not a joke yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. My god, my godparents had at the peak 15 cats and nine dogs. That's too many cats. And so I have a high standard for how many you can. I'm like, four doesn't even seem like that much to me. <laughs> oh, if they're all indoors, though, it's too much. They're not. I, they're not. I mean, well, like, I mean, like, like here, case. you can't have four cats here. Yeah. Well, they, the landlords here, that's the thing about LA, you guys. If you love pets more than anything, yeah. Um, be warned <laughs> yeah because yeah my roommate here already has two cats and that's the limit no dogs two cats max like and we went sneak them in it was funny because i met with the landlords are very personable and i i'm enjoying my relationship with them but because they like to know everyone they invited me up to their place to like chat that's for an hour nice. 
uh, when I was like getting screened my credit and everything. Yeah. And they had two dogs and they saw how much I liked the dogs. And like in the middle of negotiations, they stopped to be like, I see how much you like our dogs. Just so you know, like we're allowed to have dogs cause we're the landlords. You can't have a dog. And maybe like in six months you'll think that we like you and then you can ask for a dog. You can't have a dog. Wow. <laughs> like, okay. Wow. Okay. I they're have, like, we can just see that you love dogs. Yeah. And I'm like, I do. It's a real, but I've accepted that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real shame that he doesn't let me have in mind because I, I had, there's no sharing walls. I've got a little bungalow. I've got a little backyard to my bungalow. Mm-hmm. Um, Maggie's tight, small and well-behaved and it's a real problem, but she barks the company. She does bark. Well, Cody's <laughs> bad about disciplining her. <laughs> Dogs do respond to no very well. They do. And she needs to wear her bark collar more often because she, um, <laughs> she needs to learn what a good girl <laughs> behaves like. Um, lately, I've called her a dumb bitch when she, no, oh, I don't. don't cut that out. You Hashtag can cut that out. time's up, Katie. I don't know. You not traitor. a dumb, mean no, bitch. No. Don't be a mean bitch is what I said. Well, when I she mean, barks at people. You're telling a strong, proud female presence, shut up and stay in your place. Don't You speak can up. cut that out. It's a joke. <laughs> It's a joke that that yeah. I makes me laugh because she doesn't get it, it's and okay. I say it like this. You're like, like it's our word. Like, it's okay. Don't be a mean bitch. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, when she barks at strangers. Um, oh, see, I do because it amuses me. The dogs only understand tone of voice. Yeah. And I bet people will give me hate for this, but I would go like when I come home and the dogs are like circle excited. I'd yeah. be like, who wants to get put down today? Yeah. Do you need to get put down? Well, you want to go to sleep so forever? Funny. I do it all the time. <laughs> um, but, uh, I have a kid. So I've introduced her to all of my neighbors and they all like her. Yeah. Um, and, except uh, the landlord. except the landlord. Well, I might say, I might have my therapist write a note because they actually can't. That's a tip. If you have a therapist recommendation, they can't say no to you. Okay. But your dog is small. Yes. So I won't judge you. No judgment in the pit. No. But no. I will say explicitly the reason that dogs are not allowed in this complex, which they were before I uh-huh. moved in here, is because the person I am replacing uh, got a note from a therapist under false pretenses saying it was an emotional really? therapy dog and they needed it. And they got a giant dog. Oh, I remember this. And kept it exclusively in that closet That's terrib- all day. No. Like, you're like, are you Katie's kidding me? here, but I'll describe a, vi- a small closet that you would keep like your Are you kidding? In. That's what she kept it in. And then. I'm horrified right now. The And it was undisciplined because obviously she didn't care well for it. Yeah. So it barks, tore stuff up, escaped tried to break into other people's apartments and that killed it for everyone. Yeah. So only do it if you know, only you can, do if you knew if it. And fine. I, I only, it only occurred to me because me I'm so sad <laughs> that I can't have my dog yeah. and I've been talking about it a lot in therapy. Like I wish that I had her, like I wish that it was easier for me to have Maggie at my place because right now I, I don't completely relax when she stays with me for a night or two. Um, I feel less guilty with a small dog. She's Cause like when you're in well New York behaved. and you see someone come out of like, a 40 story apartment building walking a husky you feel bad i think totally dog. Yeah. although i've have heard um big dogs require tend to have a little less energy as they get older because sure. they're bigger and whatnot so sometimes they're fine in big mm. apartments but um no I, it's not that i feel guilty it's that i don't want to get caught <laughs> i don't want to get in trouble so i don't like compl- you don't want to be guilty yeah of an infraction so, you know if Maybe maybe there is a way. I don't think that you should manipulate the system, but maybe like tweak it a little. <laughs> it's tough when you're an empathetic person. I mean, this now again, my brain hops it. You know, yeah. Me. But I'm. It, you just made me think of the whole political scene because I've been loving your guys' podcast. Oh, thank you. Even more news. People check that out. Yeah. Um, 
everyone, if you want to be a good person, abide by rules because you believe that the world would be a better place if people accepted that the social contract involved restricting your own behavior in ethical ways. You get steamrolled by the people who don't give a shit and realize that if you're an asshole, you can fucking break the law and get away with it and take all the money as long as you don't care if you hurt and kill other people. Um, But that's... No, it's true. To to follow the rules or not follow the rules. Exactly. Do you lower yourself to their level in order to compete effectively with them? Because by doing that, you admit, oh, life is that dark. Or at least maybe humanity is. Yeah, but I think you can break the rules with class. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I think so. Like, what's what's that? um, What would be that D&D? I'm liking where this is going. No, like... uh, good chaotic good right yeah exactly Maybe I alignment am, yeah uh, yeah alignment. Good, thank sure. you yeah it's where you believe that good is an intrinsic quality but you're also like you like breaking the rules just a little <laughs> bit you know a little bit of a robin hood sure yeah exactly but just do so with empathy don't bring your yeah. giant dog to your tiny apartment i can't believe that i can't believe it but that makes i'm i won't upsetting. name names yeah it's okay you don't yeah. need to uh you know who you are <laughs> I love, I'll only throw people under the bus who I'm sure will n- don't know this podcast even exists. <laughs> um, the last thing I wanted to ask, uh, and that does remind me to make a note to self that I do really want to do an episode about the general anxiety disorder and depression exacerbation mm-hmm. of the political situation. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Not from a point of like you and Cody, I think cover better than anyone. Like this happened today. This is fucked up. Let's talk about but, like, this. What the effect but, like, is? How are you handling all? I this? know it's hard. Maybe Cody would be the right guy for that episode. Yeah, because I know it cracked even as uh, some news. Yeah. Where like was reaching the end phase of cracked. There were a lot of comments that were like, are you okay? Like, yeah. Is this taking a toll on it's you? It's hard. Yeah. Uh, he's not, he, but he's also a positive person. So he, he'll be like, it's okay though. You know, like he, he's good. Like that's how he gets through things. Uh, it's okay. Well, Cody's right. always been like this. <laughs> the world's on fire. It's the, okay. It was, it's a thing that happened. I noticed first when Ferguson start, well, you can save mm. this for an sure. episode, but all right, but you started. Finish started. that thought, when and then we'll wrap the Fer- up. When the Ferguson protests and all of that stuff was going on, I saw Cody, and I'm sure this was happening beforehand, but it was like a switch turned on in him, and he couldn't stop. I mean, and I couldn't stop either, but, you know, in a way that's beyond what all of us do, like participating and engaging and reading. Oh, yeah. And, and he was up all night uh, reading stuff about it and, like, getting in fights with people on Twitter. Right. But it, it's kind of around then that I saw the news took a bigger role in his life. So he does it anyway, is my point. Yeah. Is that he's um, spends a lot of time absorbed in everything, and it's actually a good outlet for him. Sure. It's exhausting when there's a show a week, uh, mm-hmm. the week that, of the show, and that's why it's good that we're doing it every other week right mm-hmm. now. We're going to mm-hmm. try to start stockpiling some, like, evergreen episodes to release other okay, times. cool. But... Um, yeah, That's it's awesome. just not sustainable to do it every week. It's, well, it's, a, it's usually almost half an hour long. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, the yeah. video we just released was 420 baby. Yeah. Four minutes and 20 seconds. But those, those long episodes, I mean, they don't feel that long to me. Maybe it's because I'm like, no, not to watch, but yeah, I but they are. know They're how long. long they must take to write. Cause it takes a long time to write 22 minutes. Well, it's kind of like we talk about stuff all week. Or like, and then like leading up to the days, like here are the general things. Sure. And then he throws most of that out the window as he's going. <laughs> but like, but then he writes like for 24 hours straight 
Right. Up okay. Because I was shooting. hoping. I like. I'm always trying to gauge how slow or fast I am as a writer. No. And extra, extra will take me a good six hours to write because it's very he dense and, and fine tuned. <laughs> there's something about the way he works that it's like it has to be right now, uh, right? And one big like, push. One big push, usually right before it's desperately needed. <laughs> yeah, he's a deadline motivated individual. Mm-hmm. He's more cat like than dog like. Yeah, he is. <laughs> I brought it back, so we're safe to wrap up. Yeah, I did start a question. I want to finish as the last question. Um, I feel. That I have deeper, richer, more complex relationships, obviously, with human beings in the world than with animals in the world. I have had several. I've had one close friend and then a friend of my brother's who I cared about and thought was a great guy die young, Mm. tragically. And I cried when I heard the news. But when my pets died, I fucking bawled hysterically for like six hours and I'm wondering what that means. And if you have that experience, am I a sociopath? <laughs> because a trademark of sociopaths is they care about animals more than here. Or they form I deeper connections to animals. I don't think you're a sociopath. Um, <laughs> uh, because they're innocent. Because like they're like they are these pure things. Even and if they misbehave, even if still they innocent? misbehave, they okay. do. They are. And like they are, like you were saying earlier, like this is the power of I, I, I think there's some there there's the guilt there's something about it like this is our choice to put him down at some point mm-hmm. that's wrapped up in it I don't know though you're right because the grief is really deep and I, I you also haven't lost somebody that's super close to you I haven't lost a parent yet so and my brother's alive and he's yeah. my only sibling it did make me wonder God forbid should one of my parents be in the place where you where they don't die of natural causes, but you have to make a decision yeah. to pull the plug where they want to be dead. Will it feel the same where it's like, it's that morning? I mean, I'm sure it will. And then I see all these movies where people in those moments have an end of life plan for don't your family. Cry. <laughs> Not because they don't feel the grief or want yeah. someday, but because they're just like numbed out. You're in shock. Cause that's happening. Yeah. Now. So maybe it's that a pet is a small enough tragedy that you're ready to process it immediately. That could, that could be that you just feel it that so now. deeply. Um, when my brother died, I did you immediately ball? Uh, I was crying. To it took well. It was so drawn out. Okay. Like yeah. the the experience of it was like a long ordeal, and like right. and then when we decided to like pull the stop, we were just sitting there waiting for it to happen, right. and then it felt like all the air had been left out of the room, and you're just like exhausted. Um, and so I don't think that I, I don't know if I was crying or not. It wasn't like this kind of crying, but this was like immediate. Like I just seen a terrible car accident or my family murdered, like bald over, like you said, like hyperventilating with crying. Right. Um, All of a sudden it was immediate. What I'm getting at that I think is very interesting and it's not, the grief is obviously, immeasurable in the case of like human beings that we're connected to but it's just so interesting to me the way the human body reacts there's a level of grief where people seem to and i will experience it someday if i haven't yet be rocketed into a level of grief where you're now empty and you're just like staring at the wall or like it's interesting to me that you said i don't even remember whether i cried or not because your mind is like 
blasted out yeah. by like this can't even be happening. It's like you're I when can't it process is, this. Yes, because when somebody that you love dies, your entire world is flipped upside down. You have a new rea- you have a completely new reality. Yeah. You you know it's it is like exactly like your mind's been blasted open. Yeah. Um, and a cat, it's a new reality, and that continues to be set every day. I forget and then remember. Yeah. Um, and when I'm coming home and he's not there in the window, I remember again Yeah. when I wake up or when I go outside and I don't close the door right away and I usually go back to f- close it. Right. You I'm don't like, freak oh, out. Yeah. Uh, no you know, like uh, things like that. And then you remember, um, but yeah, it's, I meandered away from what we no, were talking no. about. Much like a cat. Much like a cat. Well, I, then I guess I just realized we should thank pets as well. I think for being practice tragedies. Yeah. Because life is full of pain. And if you're lucky enough like me to have experienced, uh, I I do believe I've experienced a lot of personal tragedies, but not specifically in the realm of a, a family member dying. Um, you will someday, unless you're unlucky enough that you get hit by a truck tomorrow and yeah. that's its own tragedy. And it's interesting that pets give us this way to see a full life live out that's shorter than ours. Yeah. Know it's going to end and then process the ending. I love that. That's a really good, a beautiful way to look at it. Thank you, pets. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, pets. I guess I can have another one again someday. I hope you will. I will. It's I've... not like a human where like you've been married for 35 years and you don't want to no. replace them. Get another dog. I will. I'll get, does, a... get another cat. I mean, I'm saying to everyone out there, yeah. your dog dies. Get another dog tomorrow. Your dog doesn't care. Yeah. Dog wants you to be happy. <laughs> well, when you're ready. <laughs> sure. Sure. Don't rush it. Don't rush it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's it for the pit today. Thanks so much for joining us again, Katie. I'm thrilled to be here. Our first return guest. (gasps) Oh, that's so cool. Friend of the pit. Friend of the pit. Is it cool? It means that you're like more depressed on average than most, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. All right. So I guess you're pleased by that. Yeah. Well, you got it. It's a silver lining, right? Great. (laughs) Come back next week and we'll talk about how Trump is making us depressed. I would love to. Great. Thank you. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.